chapter 8. And I just want to read two verses. And uh, reading verse number 5 and then skipping down to verse 12. From Acts chapter 8. It says this, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized to both men and women. I want to talk to you for a little bit this, this afternoon on this title, A Revelation of the Name. A Revelation of the Name. I believe that the world as we know it today was never really intended by God to end up this bad. Matter of fact, just as I'm speaking right now, we are getting dangerously close to a World War III scenario beginning in Europe. Now, we know that Russia has already said that they're going to bring out the nukes if anybody helps out Ukraine militarily. And the world seems to be becoming less intolerant of that. Now, we don't know how that's going to happen. I'm not saying there's going to be a World War III. I'm just saying our world is in a mess right now. And when you consider how things were in the beginning in Genesis 1 and how things are now, there is a huge gap. And that's putting it mildly. I also believe that in the very beginning, what made Adam intimate with God was that Adam possessed in his heart an understanding that was deeply embedded in his soul, there was an intimate knowledge of God. Now, this was before he fell and before sin created that gap. But there was a special kind of union there, and nothing was missing in Adam or Eve. Like emotionally, there was nothing. Mentally, that was amiss there. Physically, there was nothing amiss. Nothing wrong with them, certainly. And there was a perfect union with Almighty God. That is until sin happened. And as you know, once Adam sinned, what he lost more than anything was that intimate knowledge of his creator in God. And with that lost knowledge, Adam and all of his descendants descended into a very dark place. There was a knowledge of God's character and power, which Adam earnestly and fervently possessed while he was still in the garden. And the union that was there between Adam and God, for example, whenever God would show up in the cool of the day, likely the morning time, and Adam and God would walk and they would talk, and Adam would see God in a very intimate way. And it was likely the same with Eve. But that, that intimate communion was torn as sin created this very dark veil. And as that knowledge of God was stripped or torn out of of Adam's imagination and out of his heart and out of his soul, his mind was turned over to his own will and his own way. And so now Adam is no longer connected to God's, and not just connected to, but submitted to God's perfect will and way, Because there is this sin knowledge that's created this gap that was there. Mankind descended further and further into a moral and spiritual abyss. Matter of fact, if you read your Bible as I know you have, it didn't take but one chapter for the first murder to happen. And already Adam's kids were already killing each other. Now you thought your kids were the only ones that did that. 
And we laugh about that, but it was literally Adam's kids killed each other. And by the time, the, the, that's, that's going from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4, and by the time you get to Genesis 6, just a few generations later, the Bible says the earth had become so corrupt that God said, I regret ever making it. I regret ever creating anything that I have created, and I wish I wouldn't have done it. But there was one man that found grace in the eyes of God. Aren't you thankful for Brother Noah? <laughs> Not just our Noah, but Noah, the son of Lamech. Sin was rampant. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that man was so corrupt that his, his mind only dwelt on evil continually. Now, I believe that even in our world today with most people, there might be 80% bad thoughts and 20% good. There's good in, in most people. There's probably good in everybody. And, you know, even whenever you see those St. Jude commercials, you want to, like, whip out your wallet and you want to give. So there's some good in you. There's some thoughts of good towards it. But there was a time where man's thoughts were only evil continually. And this was that time in Genesis 6. And more importantly, by the time or by this time, the knowledge of God was completely and totally lost. And with that lost knowledge, man turned to other gods to worship because man was created as a worshiper. Right. We are not beings that worship. We are worshipers by nature. And you may be here, you may be an atheist. You may say, well, I don't believe in God. You may be in an agnostic, but you know what? You created a worship something. And I promise you, if we took inventory of your life, there is something that you have numero uno in your life that you worship. Because you were created as a worshiper. And so in the absence of that knowledge of the true God, man invented his own gods. Silver, gold, brass, wood, stone. Gods of all sorts of different things. As a matter of fact, in every ancient civilization, it was built on paganism and false deities. It's kind of like that neighbor that just moved in. And you don't know who that neighbor is. And, and if you're an extrovert, you want to go and meet them. But if you're not an extrovert, you don't want to meet your neighbors. <laughs> because you're an introvert and you hate small talk. And you got to have small talk with neighbors. Not that, not that I know anything about that, about hating small talk. It's just, it, it's just in our nature. How many are extroverts here today? How many are admitted introverts? Come on, raise your hand. I know you're oh, most of them. Look at that. <laughs> I'm speaking to you right now. <laughs> you're my people. <laughs> and those, and this neighbor, you know, you're kind of curious. I, I have a neighbor that just moved in just, just a few months ago. Bless her heart. She's a sweet lady. But if you talk to her, it is a 30-minute conversation. And she is a talker. You, I just say hi. You know, for 30 minutes. I don't have to say anything. Nice lady, nicest lady you'll ever meet, just real sweet. And, uh, and, and it's like you don't know a lot of information about that person, so what do you do? You fill in the gaps in your mind. Now, you may not know that you're doing this, but you do this. We all do this. You might think, well, that guy, he's a little creepy. <laughs> he might be the nicest guy in the world. He's not creepy, he's just an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But with every conversation that you have with that neighbor, it's like you feel like some people kind of like pursue you out. And, and they're wanting to get to know you. And so they come and they knock on your door or, or maybe they see you out in your yard doing yard work and they start up a conversation and you learn, oh, well, they work in, 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 in this particular, they, they work in the healthcare industry or, oh, she's a nurse. And you learn a little bit about them. And then over time, you learn a little bit more with every conversation. And so it's, it's a, you progressively get to know that person. But if you sit down and you just have a 10-minute conversation with them, you only know what that 10-minute conversation revealed. And so this is why man began to invent and create their own gods because in the absence of the truth and because we are worshipers, we are bound and determined to worship something. So man, in the absence of that knowledge, filled in the gaps. And they looked around and they said, well, we know that there's an ocean and we know that there's a sky and we know that we're here. So there must have been a God. So we're going to call the God of the sky this. And we're going to call the God of the ocean this. And we're going to call the God of, of the storm is this and the God of lightning Zeus. And so they began to create and invent their own gods in the absence of the knowledge of the one true God. As I said, every ancient civilization was built on paganism and false deities. As a matter of fact, the Sumerians, not Sumeritans, but Sumerians is the ancient, is the most oldest civilization. As a matter of fact, they are the civilization that existed in the time of Abraham. And the major deities in the Sumerian included Pantheon, uh, in, in, sorry, in, in the Sumerian Pantheon included On. Uh, which was what they called the God of heavens. There was Enlil, the God of wind and storm. There was Enki, the God of water and human culture. Uh, then there was a God named Nis, Nin Hersag, the goddess of fertility in the earth. There was Atu, the God of the sun and justice and his father uh, Nana or Nana, the God of the moon. And then there was, uh, the, you know, they believed that the universe was divided into three regions, each of which became the domain of one particular God. There was a new share was the sky. The earth was given to Enlil. Ea became the ruler of the waters. And together, they constituted the triad of the great gods in the Sumerian language and mind. Then there was the Egyptian who had actually had thousands of gods. And later they created their own gods and worshiped this god called Amun. And, and that was their most powerful and important god. He was likened to Zeus as the king of the gods in ancient Greek mythology. Amun was merged with another major god. Ra was the sun god. In, in, in ancient Babylon, uh, they recognized a three person in one god as appears from a composite god with three heads forming part of their mythology and the user of the equilateral triangle. India was built on the worship of three deities in Hinduism, which is Brahma, Vishnu, and Siva. In Greece, they worship Zeus, Poseidon, and Adonis as their three major gods. Aristotle would later write, who was a Greek philosopher, all things are three, and thrice is all. And let us use this number for the Pythagoreans say everything, and all things are bound by threes, for the end, the middle, and the beginning have this number and everything, and these compose the number of the Trinity. The Phoenicians, the Celts, every civilization that was ever known to man up until modern times had some form of religion and had some form of deity uh, that they built their country on. Now, it was in this era where the knowledge of God was lacking and man began to create and invent his own gods that the Lord appeared to Moses and he said in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is one Lord. Matter of fact, the Jews quote it as this in, in the Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Elohim, Yehovah Echad. And it means, in the Hebrew, it's literally translated, here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's how they say it. Now, what did God tell Moses? Not just that there is only one God, but that the Jehovah himself is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Jehovah, and that Jehovah is one. He's not three. He's not 12. He's not a hundred. He's not a thousand, but he is only one. Unlike the heathen nations that surrounded them. And so what God was doing was he was beginning to give mankind a revelation of the knowledge of God, but he did it progressively. Furthermore, that no other heathen nation uh, had a singular God who was creator and Lord over everything, just the Hebrews. So when you go to Egypt, for example, they had a God of everything. And it was the same with the Sumerians. They had many gods. Although they had, main, they had one or two or three main gods, they still had many gods. But God was telling Moses, don't think that there's all those different gods of the sky and there's a another God of the flies and there's another God of the Nile, but there is only one God and I am Lord over everything. And it was that knowledge. Paul later on would say in Acts 17, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Paul stood on Mars Hill and he said, I know that you worship gods and, and they had a God that they called to the unknown God and it was just in case we miss some God that's out there, we're going to create one more God and call it the unknown God and every God that is not named and we're going to call that the unknown God. And Paul said, there is no unknown God but the one true God whom you can know and he came down and he's not graven with men's hands he's not a he's not an idol that you can create or throw into the fire but how do we get to this point where man fell from the true knowledge of God and to creating and making up his own gods there's one word and that word is sin and with sin came a lost knowledge of God From the time that Adam was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there was a restorative plan, listen to me now, from God to bring man back into that knowledge and communion with himself. We find it from the very first time in Genesis 3 and 15, whenever God was cursing the man, the woman, the serpent, and the ground, and he finally looks at Eve and he says, you know, um, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his seed. In other words, you're going to give birth to a Messiah and he's going to bruise the head of the serpent and bring reconciliation back to man. So there was a redemptive plan from the very beginning. And through that, there was a progressive revelation of God through his name. Never was there a time since after Adam fell in the garden up until Christ was God fully and completely known to man in all of his character. After Adam fell, And after that knowledge of God was lost, there was never a single moment in time up until we see Christ that God fully revealed himself in all of his attributes and character. So what God was doing was he was unveiling his character a little bit at a time. From from Genesis 4 and 26, it says, And to Seth, to him also were born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then begin men to call on the name of the Lord. Men begin to hunger for a revelation of God. 
So they started to call upon his name. Lord, we want to know who you are. And when that hunger for the knowledge of God began, what did they turn to and ask God for a revelation of? His name. They began to call upon his name. Lord, show us your character. Show us who you are. Show us your attributes. And they began to desire a deeper revelation of God. And so God began to answer their prayers and to reveal himself. But when you first look at how God first revealed himself, in the very beginning, how did he do it? In the beginning was the Elohim. Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. And it's, it's even in English, it's kind of a generic word. And so, you know, later, David, King David, would write, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. And so we look at creation and we say, well, duh, there's a God. There has to be. We didn't climb up out of some pre-mortal soup or descend from a monkey. Although some people may not get it. That did not happen to any of us. God created you in his image and he has a purpose for your existence. You are not here by accident. And so God, God created you. But so we look at creation and, and we see the, all the colors of the sunset and we see the colors, the seven colors of the rainbow. And we see, you know, we go up at, at nighttime and we look up at the stars and there are billions of stars in the galaxy there. And so we know that there's a God, but you don't really know him personally. It's kind of like looking at a house or, or this is a better example, looking at a painting of a Picasso and you know a little bit about what the artist was feeling at the moment that he painted that. But you don't really know in person who the, even though you might know, well, this is Picasso, or this was a Norman Rockwell painting, or this was, you know, somebody else. You might know, but you don't know them on a personal level. And so Elohim was just, I am God. There's a God. There is an Elohim. And so later on, he would reveal himself as Jehovah Jireh. That means the Lord that provides. In Genesis 22, when God provided a lamb for Abraham's sacrifice, Abraham knew God, for the first time, as the one who provided. And with that revelation of his name came a knowledge, a deeper and more intimate knowledge of God's character that man had not known since that knowledge was lost in the Garden of Eden. And that was that God is not just Elohim, but he is my provider as well. Now, we sing about it today. We sing about that name today. But... We understand that, and we kind of take that knowledge for granted, but they didn't know that before this. Abraham had a revelation. Oh, God, Abraham had a revelation. Oh, God, you're my provider. You'll provide for me. You're not just some Elohim that's up there far out in outer space somewhere, but you, you provide for me. You know where I live. And so this was a revelation to Abraham. When God began to deliver Israel from Egypt centuries later, above all that God gave Moses, Beyond just a message in itself, God gave Moses a name. And it was a name that nobody had knew him by before. Look at Exodus 6 and 3. It says, And I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty. That's the El Shaddai. God, Elohim, and Almighty, which, means, which, which is the El Shaddai. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. 
in the redemptive sense of Jehovah. Nobody had known God by that name ever before. And so what God is getting ready to, what God is getting ready to do, he's telling Moses, I'm going to withdraw my people out of the land of Egypt and I'm going to put them in the land of Canaan. Nobody had known God that God was, that loved mankind enough to do something like that. You're my provider. You're the God Almighty. You can do everything. It's what Abraham called him. You're, 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 God called Abraham. He said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be perfect. Uh, and so now God was getting ready to make known to mankind in his character or in the redemptive aspect. Look at Exodus chapter 3. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they say, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Now he's asking this because Moses knows above everybody that the Egyptians had thousands of gods. So whenever Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, Elohim says, let my people go. Pharaoh is going to say, which Elohim? Which God? What shall I say? How should I answer them? And this is what God told Moses. God said, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Now, Jehovah means, I am, as Pastor pointed out a few weeks ago, I am or he is. That's the meaning of the name Jehovah. Now remember, as I said, Egyptians had thousands of gods. Each of them ruled in their respective territory or area. There was a god of the Nile River. There was a god of flies. How would you like to be the god of flies? Not a job I would want to apply for. There was a god of lice. Yes, there was literally a god of lice. There was a god of rain. There was a god of storms. There was a god of lightning. Instead, they had all these different kind of gods. But none of them were sovereign overall. And so... Perhaps Moses expected God to say, I am the God of this, or I am the God of the storm, or I am the God of the Nile River. And that's probably what Pharaoh was expecting to hear as well. I'm the God of this or that. We're going to incorporate that religion into all of our other thousands of religions. But God said, I am. I am. And later on, Jesus would say, I am the Alpha. And I am the Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And that he, was, he, was, he was reiterating what God said to Moses in the beginning. I am. And that's why Moses' message to Pharaoh fell on deaf ears for so long. Because by believing Moses' message, Pharaoh had to declare his own gods as false. And his entire religious system would have came crumbling down in his mind because what Moses was saying was the I am everything, I am God over all hath sent me to you. And if he's God over all, that means that their gods were nothing. And so by definition, it was tearing down their false religions. And that's why Pharaoh hardened his heart. So God showed Pharaoh his power and ability by asserting his sovereign power over all the other gods of Egypt through the plagues. In Exodus 17, when Israel fought against the Amalekites, and, and they almost or would have lost that battle, and Moses lifted up his hands, and as long as his hands were lifted up, Aaron and her on either side, Moses knew God as Jehovah Nissi which means the Lord is my banner or the Lord is my victory. What Moses was saying was we didn't fight this battle on our own, but God fought it for us. He became my victory today. He fought my battles. How many have ever known God as Jehovah Nissi? He fought a battle I couldn't fight. He won something I could have never have won. 
They didn't know God like this prior to Exodus chapter 17. And later on in Exodus 22, when Israel came to Merah and they could not drink the waters there, and Moses threw the tree in the waters and they became sweet, God told you, I am your Jehovah Rapha, which means I am the God who heals you. They didn't know God as a healer prior to that. Now they know him as the almighty God. They know him as the provider. They know him as my victory. Amen. They know him as my healer. And then Gideon would later come to know God as Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is my peace. King David later on, who had a very intimate knowledge of God, would later say, the Lord is my Jehovah Ra, which means the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. King David later, when he was, uh, you know, whenever he was knee deep among his enemies and swinging the sword every which way, he knew God as the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of the armies. Many times David would have fallen. But God became his protector. So he said in Psalms 46 and 7, the Lord of hosts, that is uh, Jehovah, uh, my protector, or, or, or Jehovah Sabaoth is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Later on, Jeremiah would declare that the Lord became their righteousness. From Jeremiah 23 and 6, in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, when you read the Old Testament and you run down all these names, there are over 2,000 names and titles of God. And every single one of them are directly linked to an aspect of his character that God was unveiling to win mankind back. Now again, it goes back to that annoying neighbor. You don't want to be won back. But that neighbor likes who you are and that neighbor is an extrovert. And if he sees you outside, he's going after you. And so here's the teaching that God had every chance, God took every chance that he had to get to know mankind, to show him who he was and who was carried. There was such an earnest and fervent passion within God to know us and to be known by him. And so that's why every one of those names represent a different aspect of his character and nature, and yet none of them are all compassing as a full revelation by themselves to all that God is in his character and nature. But then we read in Zechariah 14, verse 9, how, how Zechariah prophesied this. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord, and his name is going to be one. How many names are there in the Old Testament for God? There were thousands of them, over 2,000. You can run them down. But, but God told Zechariah this, <clears throat> there's going to be one name one day. And that one name is going to encompass all the other names and is going to be a full revelation of all that God is. <laughs> Isaiah said this later on, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel. Everybody say El. El. That's short for Elohim. Emmanuel. That is, the Elohim is going to be with us. The God who spoke the worlds into existence is going to come down and put on flesh and show himself who God really is.
Amen. Isaiah said, I know that man could never win back himself. I know that man could never redeem himself. You know, Isaiah looked around, you know, or rather Isaiah got a vision in Isaiah 6. And he was looking around, who will go for us? Nobody could go. An angel could not go. There was nobody under the sun who could go. John the Revelator wept because nobody could go until Elohim entered the human race and became one of us. The angel would appear to Mary many generations later and proclaim that same prophecy as the fulfillment of Jesus' birth. From Matthew 1 and 21, And you shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. So this is another combination of Jehovah. Amen. This is not Jehovah Sitkinu. This is not Jehovah Rapha. This is not Jehovah Shalom. But this is Jehovah is my salvation. Amen. Remember all those combinations of Jehovah, and I just went over just a few of them. None of them ever contained salvation in it. Not that Jehovah provided salvation, but that he became our salvation. He became our salvation. Amen. And if that angel Gabriel was speaking Hebrew to Mary, and I don't know if he was or not, but if he was speaking Hebrew, he would have said his name shall be called Yeshua. Amen. In the Hebrew. And that means salvation. His name will be called salvation. Amen. You can read all the time salvation is mentioned in the Old Testament. And if you translate that from the Greek, it's Eusis, which is where we get the word Jesus from. Reference pastor's Gary's message, Wednesday night. He was kind of all over mine, and now I'm kind of all over his message. Amen. But we get salvation from the Hebrew, and that's why the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary. And he said, you got to call his name Jesus, because he is salvation. Furthermore, the angel had to tell Mary what his name would be, because Hebrew sons always received their father's name by inheritance. Firstborn sons got their father's name. So you would have been Bargari. Bar means son of. You've heard of Bartimaeus, right? Bar, son of, Timaeus. Jesus called Simon. Simon Barjona. In the Hebrew, Bar just means son of. That's how they identified. They didn't have last names, okay? So the last names were created later. And so Hebrews 1 and 4 says this, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath, everybody say, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation, literally has the Father's name wrapped up inside of it in the same way that God was inside of that tabernacle. Now God has tabernacled himself, not in badger skins, amen, but in Adam's skin and became salvation. Elohim entered the human race and became our salvation. Amen. That's why Jesus in John 13 and 14 was saying, my father this and my father that. And Philip didn't understand it. And he said, Lord, what do you mean the father? Show us the father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus looked at Philip and said, I've been with you for three long years and you don't know who I am. He that has seen me has seen the father because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Elohim put on flesh. 
That's why in the flesh he needed to sleep. That's why in the flesh he needed to pray. That's why in the flesh uh, he was subjected to the law of Moses. He was subjected in every aspect like we are subjected in the flesh. But as God, he could walk on water. As God, he could say, I forgive your sins. As God, he could say, rise up and walk. My God, I hope you get a revelation of this today because this is the absolute truth of God. Hallelujah. The Father's name was in that Son. In Acts 2, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 and 1, just in case you're new to us, you may not like us. You may love us, but you will never forget us. In Acts 2, they were sitting. I was teasing somebody before church said Pentecostals don't pray sitting down, but it, this thing started sitting down. They were seated, and while they were sitting and praying, the wind began to blow, and the Spirit fell, and the cloven tongue, like fire, a pillar of fire, a pillar of fire, the same pillar that was in the wilderness now was sitting on top of them, evidenced this is where I am dwelling, not in a temple made with hands, but in a temple, in our temple, in this temple. Amen. The glory of God left the temple in the days of Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied that the glory of God was going to fall, but Jesus walked back into that temple, and the glory of God came back in that place, and now in Acts 2, the glory of God fell again in immense hearts. And they began to speak in other tongues the Spirit gives the utterance. Now, they thought they were a bunch of drunk dudes. You're crazy. There's no way. What's going on? 17 nations. How hear we ever men speak in our own language? Methians and Parthians and all those ends. Nights. <coughs> and then Peter stands up with the 11, the other 11, and says, these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's the third hour of the day. Men don't get drunk in the morning. If you do, then you've got a bigger problem. <laughs> but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he begins to preach to them. Listen to me now. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now you can read that from Acts 2 from about 12 or 14 through about verse 36. That's what he preaches to them. Now, the Holy Ghost pricks their heart. And in verse 37... Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the men, of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? What shall we do? Now, what exactly are they asking? What do we need to do in response to what you have just preached to us? How do we get what you got? How do we get into the kingdom of God. Because Peter was preaching, save yourself from this untoward generation. And watch what Peter says. I know you can quote this up here, Apostolic. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now stop. How did Peter know how to answer that question? And furthermore, why Peter? Why did Peter get to preach this? He had just failed miserably. He denied the Lord three times. He wept bitterly. You know, if Jesus hadn't specifically appeared to Peter, Peter would have backslidden. We'd have never heard his name against in Scripture. 
And it goes back to what happened at a campfire conversation in Matthew 16. And Jesus is sitting by the campfire. Let's pretend my coat's the campfire. I don't know if it was cold at night, but they were sitting, they were kind of warming their hands by it. And Jesus suddenly says, who do men say that I am? Okay, now Jesus knows the answer. <laughs> Anytime God asks you a question, guess what? The answer is not for him. Because <laughs> he knows it all. As a matter of fact, he knows the answer you're going to give before you even give it. <laughs> he knows everything. And so the question was not for him. The question was for them. Now, this is what they said in Matthew 16. And the Bible doesn't say which one said it. They said, some said, you're Elijah. And some say, you're one of the prophets. <clears throat> Another spoke up and said, some say, you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And Jesus thought for a moment and he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? Now watch what Peter says in, 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 in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. Peter says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answering and said unto him, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now Peter's name used to be Simon, which means pebble in the Greek. Small little pebble, you can kick it around, get stuck between your, your, your feet or your, your, you know, the, the traction on your shoes. Pebble. But he said, you're not going to be a Simon, a pebble, you're going to be Peter, which means rock. And I will give thee the keys. Everybody say keys. To the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. Peter got the keys to the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes when you're teaching, you got to state the obvious. What do keys do? How many got keys? This is a switchblade key, I guess. Give me a weapon, too, I guess. <laughs> Beware. People might try to mug me. I got a key. They don't know you got it. They don't know it's just the key. They might think it's a switchblade. I don't know. If I want to get in my house, where's my house key? This is my, I only got four keys. Hopefully you're not that person that has like a bazillion keys. You have no idea what half of them are too <laughs> on your key ring. If I want to get into my house, there's one or two ways. I'm either going to break a window down and somebody's going to call the cops on me or I'm going to stick that key in. There is no way you're going to get in to a locked door but by a key. Now, watch this. Peter got the keys to the kingdom at the same time as he received a revelation of the identity of Jesus Christ. The keys to the kingdom hang on the identity of Jesus Christ. Access to the kingdom of God is in direct relationship to the answer to the question, who do men say that I am? And if you say, well, he's Jehovah Jr., or if you say he's something else, then guess what? You missed it. You don't got the keys because Peter got the keys. He got the revelation. You are the son of the living God. 
And that's why Peter later on in Acts 2 could preach to them about getting into the name of Jesus through baptism. That's why he got the revelation in Acts chapter 2 about the message that would open the door, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles later in Acts chapter 10. Amen. That's why he got the message because he understood around that campfire conversation. He got the revelation of who Jesus was. And so he said, man... I know it now. I understand the now better than I've ever known it before. I know he's not just Jehovah Shalom. He's not just Jehovah this or Jehovah that. But his name is Jesus. And there is no other name given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. And from that time in Acts 2, Peter began to preach the name. In Acts 4, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. Watch what he says. There is no other name under heaven given among men. But what about Jehovah has provided? No other name. What about Jehovah has become my peace? There's no other name. What about all the other 1,999 names that God showed himself to mankind? Peter said, there's no other name. What about Father? No other name. What about Son? No other name. What about Holy Ghost? No other name. Peter said, I've got one name. Like, like Zechariah said, this is the day where there's not 2,000 names, but there is one name. One name, one name, one name. Hallelujah. So Peter said, you got to get baptized in two that name. Second John 1 and 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ has both Father and the Son. Father, Spirit, Son, Flesh. We would never say God died, but we would say the Son died because the Son refers to the human aspect of Jesus. That's why Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me. He's doing the works. That's why he could tell somebody else, call no man good, because he was speaking as a man. As a man, there's nothing special about me, but there's God inside of me. Now, what about Matthew 20 and 19? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus said, I'm almost done. Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, to whom? were these words spoken. If you go back just two verses to verse 16, then the 11 disciples, everybody say 11 disciples. <coughs> By this time, Judas had already hung himself. The 11 disciples went away into the Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now this message was spoken to the 11 disciples. Now you have to ask yourself, how did those disciples who physically heard and saw the resurrected body of Jesus Christ and were in that room when Jesus spoke those words, how did they carry out that command in the book of Acts? And let me submit to you this, is that you should never 
reinterpret these words differently than the 11 disciples who physically saw Jesus and heard what he said. You either believe that they were wrong baptizing in Jesus' name in the book of Acts or they were obeying the commands because they had a revelation of who he was. They baptized in Jesus' name because they understood. When you say Jesus, you've got the Father. The Father is in Christ. You've got the Son. You've got the Holy Ghost. In fact, not a single time is the phrase in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, again, ever referenced in Scripture. But Paul did say this in Colossians 3 and 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Let me, again, let me put this to you. If somebody needs healing today, if somebody were to need healing today and we were to come up to them and we would say, come up if you need healed today and we were to lay hands on them, we would not say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We would say in the name of Jesus because you understand that healing is in that name. If you need peace, whatever you need, you would call on whose name? Jesus. Why then do so many churches miss it and not baptize? It's like everything else but that one thing. You know what? If there's healing in that name, if there's peace in that name, if there's everything else in that name, then there is salvation above all in that name. There is salvation. I want to go down in the name of Jesus. I want to take on that name. I want to be baptized into it because God has ordained that name as a full revelation of himself. Hallelujah. All of God was in Christ. Acts 22 and 16. And now why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, Paul, didn't Paul say in uh, Romans 10, 10 verse 8, uh, the, you know, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Paul was referencing there was his conversation with brother Ananias in Acts 22 and 16, where Ananias said, we call on the name of the Lord by getting baptized into that name. And that's what Paul was referencing in Acts chapter 10. You can't take one verse and separate out by itself and say, this is our doctrine. you got to look at the whole testimony of Scripture. And lastly, from Ephesians 1 and verse 10, and this is really the heart of what I'm driving at today. Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Both are which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In who? In Christ. All things are currently being gathered together in Jesus Christ. It's just like Noah saying, get in the ark. And the final day came, or not the final day, the final week came, seven days, God said, seven more days, and that's it. It's going to rain. And I believe Noah's preaching intensified during that day. And there was only one way to get saved, and that was to get in the ark. And I'm preaching to you today that there is only one way to be saved, and that is to get in that name. Because as the ark was Noah's safety, Jesus is your safety boat. He said, you can't pick this lock. you got to have the key to it. You can't go climb over a wall or break in through a window. You can't break into the kingdom of God. He said, I am the door. I am the way. There's no other way you can be saved but by me. (laughs) 
all things are being gathered together in Christ Jesus currently into his name. And anything that doesn't see Christ as a savior will see him as a judge in eternity. And that's why Paul said, get in that name. Get in Christ. Get into him. As we stand, musicians come. Acts, five, or Acts 8 again from my text. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Why did he preach Jesus? Because there's no other name. And when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, verse 12, they were baptized. How do you think Philip baptized them? When they believed Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God and the, what's it say? And the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. When you believe in that name, baptism follows. Repentance follows. Get into that name. Let this revelation sink deep into your spirit today. There's no other name. I was about nine years old. My Uncle Roger uh, was a very big man. He was about six foot five. He was about 300 pounds. He fought in Vietnam. Did a lot of drugs in Vietnam. Messed with his mind. He was a very intimidating man. He was so, so, so intimidating that they called him the Grafton Giant. We're at Grafton, Illinois. Where are we from? And it was after he had uh, gotten out of of, uh, of the Vietnam War, again, as, as I understand it, he was in a bar, again, wrong place, wrong time. And I don't know, some, somebody, some, one, of, one of those guys in that town, the bar that night was mouthing at him. As soon as he got out of the bar, he hit him once with his big fist, killed him just like that, one, one blow. He spent a lot of years in prison. And, uh, and he got out, that was before I was born, I guess. He got out, he was in and out of different institutions and they always struggled with drugs. And I was about nine years old and we lived in a duplex apartment. It was the downstairs apartment. Upstairs lived my Uncle Roger. And he would go on these wild LSD trips. And you know, the, 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 the walls were thin, but the barrier between, if you live in a downstairs apartment, you can hear everything that's going on upstairs. My mother, a single mom, my little sister Kathy was about four or five. I was eight or nine years old. And it would be late at night. He'd be going on these LSD trips, and we would hear him screaming and wailing and stomping and screaming at the devil and doing all kinds of things up there. I remember one particular time <clears throat> my mother was gone. It was me, my little sister, and I. And, and he was going on one of his wild LSD trips. It was late at night. My little sister Kathy and I hid in the closet. And Kathy may not even remember this. And all we could do was to speak the name of Jesus. And it wasn't long after that where God filled me with the Holy Ghost in that same, or rather while we were living in, in, a, in that same apartment. You know, I came out of that. I had epilepsy. Again, some of you know this story. I had epilepsy when I was very young. A toddler, they would bring me to church. Mother would bring me to church, and I had wild epileptic seizures in church. And, and, and later on, I would have what they called petty mal seizures. I was on Dilantin medication. And one time, again, while we're living in that same apartment, we went to a little apostolic church, the wrong side of town. 
little bitty church. Whole sanctuary was about the size of this altar area, including the platform. And my aunt begged me to come down and get prayed for. And so I did. I just got out of the hospital <clears throat> because of epilepsy. And the preacher laid hands on me. This is what he said. God is my witness. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And just like that, I felt the power surge through me. Matter of fact, I fell flat on my back that night. Tears strolling down my cheeks. Hey, God, I know you can heal me. I went home later that night, and I took all of that down and medication, and I flushed it all down the toilet because I believed that God had healed me, and that was 40 years ago, and I've never had a seizure since. And I'm telling you that to tell you this, that it doesn't matter what your pedigree is or who your father was or who your father was not. There is a name that can adopt you into the family of God. And there is healing powers in that name. Don't believe everybody else that says you don't have to go down in that name. They're lying to you. They're picking your pocket. They're robbing you out of the greatest blessing into the family of God that you could ever have. There is a name that heals. There is a name that forgives. There is a name. There is one name, one name, one name. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now and let's call on that name. Come on, why don't you get out of your pews, your chairs right now. Come down to the front. Let God minister to your heart. There is a name today. There is healing power in that name. Circumstances would change. The pain, but the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. I pray that a brave. 